Welcome to the Best Work Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Henley-Smith. The goal of this show is to uncover the personal stories of successful software engineers, founders, thinkers, and leaders who are all navigating their own working journey. Finding our best work is often this hidden journey, uncovered through an ongoing conversation with ourselves and the world around us. Every one of these episodes is packed full of timeless ideas you could apply to your own life. In this conversation, I speak to Max, the CEO and founder of Trove Collective. Trove is a micro-blogging platform that takes a more positive, purposeful approach to social media. Max began in finance with Pershing, becoming the product manager of the company's mobile platform before joining American Express's AI division and founding the product team at Simprints. At every chapter of his story, Max has faced challenging decisions and he shares his framework for making these during our conversation. We discuss the nature of the relationship between work and self and he introduces me to the Enneagram, a more sophisticated framework for self-knowledge than alternatives like the Maya Briggs. Max begins to outline his own wider philosophy, which was inspired by the movie Bloom Brothers and a Matthew McConaughey acceptance speech around the idea that we are constantly writing the stories of our life. An avid reader, Max shares the books that have helped him form this worldview, as well as navigate the tough decisions he's faced along the way. If part of your motivation to start Trove was to build a place that you wanted to work in before, where did that first come from? It's a really good question. It's one that I've, I've asked myself many times, but I, I don't really know why I've always wanted to do that. Um, and what I feel I can most likely tie it back to is just having really incredible experiences early in my career that gave me frames of reference for what good and bad looks like, uh, what healthy culture looks like, what toxic culture looks like. And sitting in the space of, of being a product manager, you know, I started that right out of school 10 years ago and didn't know what it was. Um, but I had an econ maths background and international affairs. And so this ability to bridge between the super technical and the highly interpersonal was something that really appealed to me. Um, and understanding essentially as a product manager, how do you understand the many different elements that can create something, uh, external factors, internal factors, timing of, uh, of what you're working on and building essentially a story that is meant to turn into a product that people can use at some point. Um, and driving that story forward with the high level vision, but then also the granular specifics. Um, and in that type of job, you're essentially, you know, I, I don't, I don't like the comparison of, of running your own little mini company, but there's a lot of elements to to building a product that touch so many parts of the business. So you're working with people from across different um, areas of the company and you get a lot of exposure. And so I think through that exposure, I started to understand like what different work dynamics look like and what I liked and what I didn't like. And I think naturally over time as a product person doing and building products for other companies, you start to think about, okay, well maybe I can build one um, 
as my own company. And as part of that, you realize how important interpersonal dynamics are and how work culture helps you produce better products. And so I think it was a very natural evolution of, I love building products. I would love to try to do it on my own. And I would love to take with me what I found to work and what I found not to work to leave that behind. How did you end up in product? I was deciding out of college to join Teach for America, um, where I was placed uh, in Boston to teach high school maths. And I was deciding between that and a corporate training program in at a bank. <laughs> and I realized, you know, as much as teaching is my true passion, it's something that I still care about deeply. Um, I needed to make some money. <laughs> I needed I needed to, to kind of take that path and consider, you know, certain financial parameters. And I I ended up taking the training program at a bank and I fell in love That's with it. That's a big difference. Central bank. <laughs> yeah, it's it, you really can't draw two different uh, potential life paths. Um, but I didn't fall in love necessarily with the financial side. I studied a lot of that in econ and um, I felt, you know, it's, it's interesting, but it's, it wasn't really a life path for me. But when I spent time with the, the technology group, I really loved the complexity of things. I love working on what seemingly are intractable problems, um, getting into the weeds and trying to relay value because in, especially in the banking world, technology is usually a decade behind. So, so helping bring that forward was a fascinating opportunity. And I was given the opportunity to take on the business intelligence and data science space. Um, and it worked out. And from there, I never looked back. How did you know when your time at BMY was coming to an end like how did you make that call to then go to american express like what was the what was the moment where you're like i need to do something different yeah it's a great question and that's when i started to really think I'm, I, I tend to be a bit overly philosophical um and at that point that's when i really started to think about other elements of my life and and what i was uh, accruing what i wanted to to build into um and, you know, one very simple side of it is the fear of not of not knowing other things. Like I'm an inherently curious person. I like to learn as much as possible. And I still had plenty I could have learned at, at BNY. But I felt, OK, I've done four and a half years here. I did an internship here. What else is out there? Like, how else can I be challenged? Um, how do I make sure that what matters to me at my core that I've experienced more um, and different um, spaces before I make a final decision on you know where I want to spend 30 years because I could have seen that the people there were wonderful. Um, I'm so lucky that today starting my company, so many of the people that have been mentors and uh, even investors came from my experience there because it's such an incredible community of people. But I just knew I, I needed to try different things. Was there a moment where you knew that, or did it just build up over time? It, it was like a, it was a build up. You know, I was super fortunate with um kind of the promotion cycles there and i was like wow okay i'm i'm i see a path here to uh, some really great things and that actually scared me more than excited me um i was like wow i, I could wake up in 20 years and, and have haven't left um and for some that's that's an incredible um incredibly exciting path to take 
Um, but for, for me, I, I just felt like I was just scraping the surface at what I was learning and what I actually applied for the Amex position on like the LinkedIn quick apply had completely forgotten I had done it. And then six weeks later, I got a phone call while I was at work saying, Hey, do you, you want to talk about this job? And I was like, what, what job? Um, and it was for, you know, the, the artificial intelligence team that they were spinning up, which was essentially an incubator within the company. And that was a completely different setup to what I was used to. So one, exploring the space of artificial intelligence and two, working with an incubator that was run by a product person who was a professor at NYU in product management and uh, their postgrad programs and had a ton of success in the product space. I'm like, wow, this is this is someone I can really learn from. It's mad this came from a quick apply on LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. It's it's truly like how you how you have to downweight your um your intention that you, you're like, okay, this is the company, this is the place. It was it was ultimately the wow. most random of occurrences. Um, I love that. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but during that process, I, I essentially put together a little framework for myself to understand like how I make decisions. Um, and I, I basically call it like the elements of work. Um, and, you know, the, there's essentially input like what is your day-to-day look like what's the process how smooth is it to work at some at, at a place you know how well have they built like an operational cycle within the organization to just you know make it um seamless to work um the second one is output so like do you the final product that you're working on or, or do you care about it is it something that you use or you're excited by um impact so like the impact scale whether it's moral societal or economic you might have an output that you like it might be sneakers but that's not necessarily societal impact right so looking at things from more of a, of a social impact angle the other element another element is community and culture do you like the people you're working with does it work with the you know the space that you that you want to live in geographically um, the next one's learning are you going to learn a lot and then the last one's money and so I have, I think that's six elements that you have that that can drive a decision. And, and my personal opinion is that although you want a lot of these to click, you're going to make a decision based on one. Like there, there is one element that will ultimately be the the break, make or break for making that decision. So for me, out of school, I realized like money was actually the driver. Um, you know, I think I would learn and everything, but. At the end of the day, I had to decide, and, and that was the thing that made me decide because I, I needed to set myself up, um, you know, to, to make sure I can live and survive and, and pay off uh, certain uh, bills. So, so that was that decision. The next one for me was like learning. Like I, I just, I actually really care about taking on this opportunity to learn about more spaces, more elements of the world, meet more people. Um, and so that's what, that's what ultimately took me there. And I use this framework with people that I mentor because it's so hard when you're presented with an opportunity to see it clearly, like you almost, you have to go through this exercise before you start fielding offers to say, what is it that I really care about? Right? Because when that offer comes in, there's a lot of obfuscation and a lot of um, 
muddying of the waters because you're, you're, you know, you're, your ego is being played to, they're talking to you in a certain way, they're offering a certain amount of money, there's certain dynamics that happen through the, the interview process, and all of a sudden you're thinking about it a lot differently. But you have to go back to like, why did I start looking? You know, what is it that I really want that I don't have today? And how do I make sure that during that interview process, I learn whether or not they have that? Like I'm very pointed about, you know, if it's about input, it's a really hard thing to know until you're there, but your question should ultimately be about how do you work? What tools are you using? You know, what, what's the general, you know, if you care about efficiency rate on, on your sprints, whatever it is that you're doing, how do you, how can you best interpret and understand like how well they've thought through their day to day and how to make things seamless at work. So that's something that, um, I found to be really helpful when it comes to, to starting that process, just to looking for a new job. It's almost as if your priorities are changing. Always. Like, and in some ways, the reason why you've got six principles, six elements of your framework is because at different points and at different times, you'll want to utilize different bits depending on who you are in that moment. Precisely. Like the, the beauty is that um, we are constantly changing. Like our concept of ourself is, is, a, is a, a very transient function. Like we're constantly looking at ourselves and being like, wow, I'm so different than I was, you know, 10 days ago, 100 days ago, you know, 1000 days ago. And so it will always tend to be something different when you hit a juncture or the end of a chapter and you say, OK, where am I now? This self-assessment process, because when I decided to leave um, Amex, I, I was like, impact is what matters to me. In college, I started a small charity and it meant a lot to me. And again, like that was just not a sustainable route. It wasn't like a really successful charity, but like we put a lot of you know love into that for a few years. And so I reconnected with that community and I found Simprints, which is based in, in England and incredible mission, incredible people. And um, for me, that was the best way I could say, well, there's a lot of other elements I care about, but being able to work on something that I know will have a positive impact and like how do you use technology that has an explicit purpose to help people, which is a pretty rare construct that excites me. And like, so you, you sacrifice other, you know, elements or you think you sacrifice other elements, but, um, but that's the one that comes to the top. And just to like quickly fast forward, when I decided to leave, like input was the most important thing for me. Like I decided that if I could, you know, starting my own company, I actually can help build the inputs from the ground up, from the things I've, I've learned to just build a place that people wanna work every day because we've made things really easy to do and and ways to work that make us uh, a bit more effective and more efficient and so that's kind of the, the cycle for me i've already i've already personally you know hit four of my my six elements and i'm 32 so you know it it's i think it's constantly constantly changing what elements did you not include so the two that i haven't actually hit on yet are community and output so community culture and output. So it's interesting because I think that community and culture are probably 
the most important thing to me is like on a personal level um and something that like for instance in england was incredible like uh cambridge is a, a wonderful place to live there's so many incredible people i didn't know anyone when i moved there and i built you know lifelong friends uh from my time there and so community i felt cambridge nailed like just just in general like the way that the the city is set up the way that they've funneled people out of school and you know kept these uh different hubs for science and business and um you know families with kids and aging individuals like it's such an incredible mixture and, and you you've somehow become friends with people of all different ages so that's a little bit of a, a side tangent but i think community and culture are are paramount and i have friends that are making decisions that have had just had kids that are like, community is the number one thing I'm going to be making a decision on when I change jobs because I need to be in a place where there's a good public school system or that we connect with with other families that are in the same situation. So I'm not at, at that point in my life, but I, I think that that could be the number one driver. Like I'm fortunate that I've been able to move around and I've been able to build new communities, but at some point, like that will be my number one decision criteria. And what about the elements that go outside of those six? Are there any that you wanted to get in, but didn't? I don't know. I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm always evolving this framework and I just used it with someone very recently who's, who's considering some changes and, um, I think they're, they're, they're pretty broad that they encompass a lot, but that they allow for kind of their own personal interpretations. Um, the hardest thing to me, it sounds like, is having so many, but with clarity, you, you said, but you only choose one. Mm -hmm. Is there ever a time where someone chooses two or three? In the way that we've used it, like, so I, the, the person who used it recently actually did it a different way than I would have expected, which is they actually took the, as a rubric and they ranked each one of them in terms of what they're experiencing at their current company and what they would like it to be. And, you know, what's that Delta, which I thought was a really great way to look at it. Um, I, I would love to see that scenario where a couple go you know, into the final decision-making. I think you, you, of course, you can't have one that's amazing and all that are terrible. You ultimately are evaluating all of them. But I think when push comes to shove, you're, you're deciding because there's something in you that's just not where you want it to be. And that's the thing that you're, you're optimizing for. Like, that's the thing that was missing the most. And in some respects, like you don't need work to be everything for every, you know, for to cover off um, on all the elements, because then it puts a lot of pressure on what work represents for you. So I, I definitely see it as you need multiple of them to be clicking. You need to evaluate all of them, but just know like which one is the one that you really, really want to see go right. You know, what, what's the one that if, if for some reason it was mediocre, that wouldn't be good enough for you, you know, um, because it's, it's constantly this, like, it's, it's a bit of, uh, it's a bit of like a, um, 
a boomerang effect in the sense like you're you're constantly like throwing yourself out there but you're then you're then you're also coming back to your base and so you're 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 learning but then you're then you're like oh actually like today i thought this tomorrow i thought this and now i'm back at square one like i actually thought i cared about you know input a lot but i've now experienced that and i'm back to where i started with thinking like uh, culture was the number one. And so it's, you're essentially have this home base and you're slinging yourself out in these different directions. And then you're like modifying your original stance on like what really matters about work. You know, what does work have to satiate and, and what, what can other parts of your life satiate? So, um, you definitely don't want to, you know, focus only on one, but I do think at the end of the day, like push comes to shove. You're saying like, this is, this is the thing I'm missing. You know, this is the thing I need to see work better. Practically, what are those boomerangs? When you throw them out and they come back, what are they? What are you doing? Because sometimes someone throws a boomerang and it's like quit a job, go somewhere completely different, and then two weeks later it's like, crap, I really wish I'd thrown a slightly smaller boomerang here. <laughs> totally, yeah. You know, that's a great um, like transition to this other framework that I use when it comes to just like day-to-day -day operations. Um and it's like the, the gaming framework and like the way I put it with my teams are like, you always have an option, like the way that we've essentially kind of created, like, if, let me just explain to you, like the, I'll just share with you the description of a game, right? So it's like, cause I've written this down. It's a game is a structure, is a structured form of play, has key components of games are goals, rules, challenges, and interaction. Games generally involve mental or physical stimulation. Many games help develop practical skills, serve as a form of exercise, or otherwise perform an educational, simulational, or psychological role. Like if you look at that specific definition, you would say that's nearly what work is. Maybe you take out, you know, for some it's physical stimulation, some it's mental, depending on what job you have. But like work is a game in the end. We're creating an institutional structure in which we set rules that allow us to say what success looks like, what failure looks like. It's a stimulation process that has interactions. And so I see the, the world that we inhabit is humans creating games or structures that allow us to decide how to operate in certain situations. And so that's kind of the foundation for something I say, like play the game, change the game or leave the game. And so what's really important is to make sure that whenever you're in a situation, you decide like what's the best mode of operation for me personally. And so deciding to leave a company is, is saying I'm going to leave the game, right? That's me saying it's time to leave this company and move on to another challenge. But sometimes that's not the best way for you to approach the situation. Um, and so this happens a lot when it comes to people at work who are feeling they're, like they're in a rut, they're in a situation where they might feel you know, powerless or you know, not empowered in, in the context in which they're operating. And you sometimes, you know, you, I'm sure you're familiar with starting a company, they'll feel like, okay, I, you know, I can't do this, I can't do that, or, you know, feeling like they, they don't have control over the outcome. But what I often look at that situation is, 
you can either kind of do the disagree and commit, you know, you can play the game and say, this is not the problem I want to change. I'm going to put everything I have into it to help this move forward. I'm not going to be an encumbrance. I'm going to decide to like really just help it. It's not what I, I would do. It's not the way I would do it. I don't love the person who's running this particular like task force or whatever, but it's worth playing the game. It's not a big enough problem for me. Or you say to yourself, actually right now, this is something I want to change. Like I care enough about it and it's bothering me enough. It's high priority enough that I'm going to help change it. I'm going to take a positive approach to moving this in the right direction. And so like often when, when there's situations where someone's unhappy with something, but they're not changing it, they're actually in kind of inflating how much, how bad something is because they actually haven't prioritized it high enough in their mind to change it or to say, I actually want to like remove myself from this task force or I want to change my project that I'm working on. And so I think like it's making sure that your team knows that they are in positions to ask to change the game if they want. If they're like, hey, I see some issues here. I really think I can contribute to that change. Let me let me get involved. Or they say, this is too overwhelming for me. Do I have an option to like step out of this? And often the answer is yes, right? Like you don't want people to be doing stuff that will not benefit the group that are trying to get it done and won't benefit them, right? And then the final is sometimes it's like, okay, we need to like exhaust our, our feelings of frustration, but then move on with it and say, okay, I'm ready, I'm ready to help move this forward and I'm going to play the game. And so I think you can look at that microscopically at a task level and you can look at that a little bit more macroscopically when you're deciding to change jobs. Like you don't want to leave a job just because one thing's bothering you. You know, you have to exercise like what are your different ways of putting yourself in an empowered situation to decide like, am I reacting to something that I actually have control over making better? Or is this truly the time for me to move on? When you said play the game, change the game or leave the game, and you defined what that game was, what it wasn't was almost ourselves. It felt like actually what you're saying is we need to focus on something that's greater than ourselves in order to do mm. or achieve what we want in ourselves. Like it's striking that playing the game, changing the game or leaving the game, is that all of that is kind of like nothing to do with you. It's all to do with the circumstances that you find yourself in and the, and the work that you're doing that exists outside of you. I think the, you know, the, the game is very much about the, the group and the institution that you're within, but I think your decisions are based on who you are, you know, like where, where your personal, um, relationship with that game is. And that's why it's like, when you're making these decisions, it's, it's truly coming from a place of where do you, where do you, where do you want to operate? Right. Um, versus because that's where I think like, if you, if you decide to not contextualize, then you could be playing the, you could be involved in the game because it's what you're told you have to do. But like the goal with that is actually to, empower the self to say you, you do have a decision here you know you you as a person can say that this game this company isn't for me and and that that is something you should feel like 
really positive about to say like I've, I've come to this conclusion that personally this is not the place for me I have these other endeavors that I want to take on and help people do that like you know I've, I've been fortunate enough to have a lot of different types of people I've ha had on my teams over the years and you know I've had one where what we were doing wasn't the perfect place for them and and you know we tried different ways to to help them find their their stride but ultimately it was about making sure that they were fulfilling their own personal goals um and then helping them get there you know it's like okay that 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 that's fine right that that's you've gone through this process of discovery and and what it is that you like what it is you don't like and um how we can help you make sure that the next journey for you is is the right one or closer to the right one that that's also what i think of, um, um, someone who's managing people can can ultimately provide so i do think at the end of the day it's really is about the individual and it's their interpretation of how they want to play along or change it or 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 move to to something else true let's go back like 200 300 years ago maybe even 100 years ago the the change in work from then to now is that we have an abundance of choice. Our meritocracy gives us the chance for our talents to rise to the top rather than taking on the the work of our parents or our community or our location. When you were speaking about the discovery that that person was going through, it strikes me that that is the challenge that we all face is this abundance of choice causes this overload and the discovery is is so difficult how did you go about helping that individual um on their own discovery so one thing that we have we had done from the early days was you know we build out personal development plans and so it's a fairly like it's a fairly personal um you know uh, template that we we go through to, together to understand what makes them tick what are the things that they love to do what are the things they don't love to do what what's you know their concept of of success in their own personal journey because you know it doesn't have to go to like really personal things but it's enough to understand the operation of an individual which for everyone is it's quite different um and even if they're like playing the same role even if they're all product managers for per se like they actually might have very different starting points um and places that they want to end up in so part of that is making sure that like when a company evolves sometimes a company has to evolve as an institution in a way that doesn't like perfectly fit all of the styles of individuals that you have in the company and so when you look at that, you say, okay, well, actually, this personality set might be really well suited for this type of role within the organization that's not product, you know, two years from now, because maybe we moved a little bit more of a service oriented business. And that kind of changes the dynamics of, of how, how the product team is, is built out. And so with that, you know, in, in the, that situation, we, you know, look at like, how do, how do we provide other opportunities within the organization? And are we still staying true to who you are? You know, um, I've seen that at Amex, I've seen it at Simprints, I, I, you know, I, and it's just, it's just about making sure that you have a close enough understanding of this individual and checking in on whether we can continue to essentially marry 
the evolution of the company with the evolution of the self. And, and, you know, that's a fairly nuanced thing that it's, it really does have to be pushed down through an organization so that there's a closer touch and pulse to, to how that relates to every individual within the company. Um, and yeah, I, I remember, you know, being involved in some of these conversations about how a company, like how our company could evolve and change and trying to understand how that affects everyone. And it's, it's really hard because yeah, markets change and COVID happens and pandemics can occur. And so you're, you're, you're feeding in this information to understand what survival looks like for an organization. And then you look at what survival or thriving looks like for the people in the company. Um, that's an incredibly difficult, um, dynamic to to align is there a difference between the evolution of the self at work and the evolution of the self outside of work i think that in some ways when i look at like the elements at play it's not always it's it's sometimes it's yin and yang like it's not necessarily that i'm looking for let's say smoother process in my personal life or you know, community in both personal and professional. And so sometimes I feel like at least the way I'm, I'm looking at the way of building my company and building Trove is to ensure that people have the opportunity to kind of live the life that speaks to them at like a passion level. Um, because I don't think like work should be nine to five. I think a lot of us agree on that. You know, I think a lot of us have, you know, this isn't like a new concept that people don't, people don't all operate amazing from nine to five straight for eight hours. Um, especially in the technology world. I know many engineers that love to work from, you know, 11 to three, um, you're getting changes on Atlassian at like three thirty in the morning, like that. That that is the reality of of uh, the differences in, in everyone. And so I think like making sure that it's not necessarily a choice between the two, like the self at work and the self at home, but it's an accommodation of both. Because what what becomes a problem in many in many you know for many people is is that choice. You're saying I'm sacrificing my home life, but I'm providing for my family, you know, and, and it's, there's a lot of traditional industries where that is, that dynamic is much harder to break into, right? That's, there's a, a lot of intransigence in like how those institutions work. And I think COVID weirdly helped that a little bit from the work from home culture, but lawyers or, uh, you know, other, other specialties have pretty rigid structures, you know, um, yeah, you have a child, you're back to work the next day. And like, these are, these are essentially sacrifices, right. That were, that institutions are asking the individual to make personally. Um, but I think that, you know, obviously we all agree that the, the, the Holy grail here is incorporating the personal and the professional self as an operation system that is driven by the individual. So for me, I think that there's about four hours of overlap that makes sense maybe at most um within within a working day for a team to be able to touch base but i don't think it's more than that because i i, I one i don't think people are more are productive for more than six hours a day 
Um, we can say, you know, we've worked for 14 hours today, but I don't think more than six of those are really productive hours. And so when we start to stretch from there, I think it's a lack of prioritization. You know, it's, it's a desire to be plugged in, but um, maybe not using that as, as effectively as possible. And so I think that when I'm looking at, when I'm making a decision now about Trove, it's ultimately figuring out how my personal and professional self can both be fed um, and creating that, that flexible kind of work architecture so that people um, can find it. And like the whole concept behind Trove is, is embracing your hobbies, embracing your passions, embracing what it is that makes you who you are and sharing that with people and sharing that with communities. And so if we don't give people the space to be who they like to be and, you know, explore their quirks or, you know, um, indulge in the things that they like to indulge in, like we're losing who that person is, you know, we're not, we're not getting the, the best from them because the way that they recharge or the way that they um, release is is not is kind of being hamstrung into this like one hour period on a Wednesday evening where they can do that. And that that's that's not a great feeling. Are there any downsides? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think the downsides are just that amount of flexibility that it creates, you know, the difficulty in building uh, a cohesive culture. But for the individual, are there any downsides to them? To them, like being able to um, have that flexibility or... Yeah, to have their their working self and to have their own self so closely aligned. Yeah. um, I, I guess, though, that we wouldn't want it to be like a decision where someone's saying they have to... I guess, make them one in the same, you know, how some people say like work life balance shouldn't be a thing. It should just be life balance, you know, and it's work and life. I, I, when I suggest this ability to have the time and space to, to do you, that's not necessarily saying that they should be one in the same. It's, it's saying that like, if you do want to have these, these separations between work and self uh, and personal self, then then you can do that, you know, then you can find the times to do that. If you feel, if you're a more fluid person that wants to interweave your personal and work, that, that, that is a decision that kind of an individual has to make. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely would not see the ideal situation as to like force people into this decision Mm -hmm. between I need to incorporate my work and my life, my personal life together. Mm. What tools have you used to better understand yourself in those moments? Um, and when you've made decisions that have been really important, how have you both assessed the the outside and the opportunity that you got in front of you? But then like, how, how have you assessed really truly like what you want? Like, what tools have you used to understand yourself in those moments? One thing I love is the Enneagram. I'm not sure. Are you familiar with the Enneagram? No. Um, it's a phenomenal, um, like, framework test, essentially, um, that has a lot of nuance. It's, 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 it's similar to the Myers-Briggs, but it's, it's quite a lot more detailed. My 
my leadership exec coach had introduced this to me a few years ago and it's incredibly illuminating. I hate being put in a box. You know, I take these 150 te- question tests and I'm like, this is silly. Like this isn't, you know, this, this is, I, I'm, not, I'm different. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm like, and then the results come I'm like, wow, this couldn't be more me. <laughs> um, so, so it was, um, it was a really enlightening process that, you know, my coach has been, um, doing this. Enneagram. Uh, Enneagram. E-N-N-E-A. Yeah. Um, she's been doing this for 30 years. Uh, it's not something she created, but she's been using it and, and she's seen how effective it's been with, um, individuals and with relationships. And it allows you to just be honest with yourself. Like, where do you operate from at a baseline? Like what's your, your inherent intrinsic reaction to things? Like, how do you, how do you see and view the world? You can always, and then it's about how aware you are of, of, of your base, your base reaction and your base fears. And so for me, that's, that's been huge, um, just as a tool. Um, and I couldn't, I couldn't recommend it enough. Um, but there's other things. So, you know, I think having a coach, having a therapist, having your family, like you have to understand, you know, you have to understand who's willing to hear you out for who you are and not trying to impose, uh, a specific outcome on you. And, and sometimes like, not to be contradictory, but sometimes, you know, you have people in your life who, who really understand you. And sometimes them imposing a, an opinion on you is actually the thing that you need to hear, not what you want to hear. And so I've really, I've always leaned into these like interpersonal relationships, um, friends that understand me in different ways, uh, friends that I know won't give an opinion. They'll just ask me questions, others that will give me an opinion. And I know what, kind of line of thinking their opinion will be, but they'll, they'll explain it in a really, um, valuable way for me to understand it better. Um, but you know, then you have to come into yourself and say, what's, 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 what's the right thing that makes me feel comfortable? Like, what do you think, what do you think will make me feel alive or, um, yeah, I think people make decisions based on different things. You know, when I took the job and, in sim- at Simprints and moving my life, like m- my decision was based on regret. Like I didn't want to regret not making a decision that felt really true to me, but there were easier ways out. So I, I'm a pretty risk averse person. Um, but through that process, I just realized, like, wow, yeah, there's a lot of unknowns. I hate unknowns. I love uncovering unknowns and understanding the world and can, you know, really being able to evaluate things. But um, this one was a step outside of that. Um, but I, I ultimately moved forward because I just, I didn't want to regret not doing something that felt really authentically me. Like I was like, wow, this is super cool. I connect with the people I connect with the mission. Yeah. There's all these logistical elements that are really scary, but I had to put those aside and I'm glad I did. How do you know when your motivations aren't being affected by kind of the world around you like how do you know when you're being motivated by something that's intrinsic and how can you tell when maybe something external seeping into your mindset or your your own identity and belief system when you're making those decisions hmm it's a really good question i wish i i wish i had a really good answer (laughs) um 
I think, let's see, I just want to think about this for a second. I really love frameworks, but I don't think there's a good one for, for this. Like I, my personal take on understanding the difference between external imposition and internal like revelation is like the, the process of documenting these thoughts so that you can literally look at what you're saying because the mind is a busy place. And so in real time, it's great for brainstorming, but it's not great for comprehension. Like you sort of like by writing things down allows you to metastasize. Like, is this something that I am genuinely believing or, or am I, you know, is this a narrative that I've heard? But as soon as you sort of write things down, it feels so much more permanent. You're like, oh, okay, I'm writing that I like this, but I'm like, your hand starts to shake. <laughs> um, so, so that, that process for me of, of classically, you know, writing down lists and coming back to them, like, especially, you know, of course you look at the index of re reversibility and if it's not a reversible decision, you should spend more time making that decision. And therefore you write these things down and you have to, you have to come back you have to come back to them over and over again. Um, like that, that to me is, um, is super important. And the other one thing that I would say is besides like writing down and reflecting and asking all the right people is there's this quote that I really, I really love. Um, it's from a Ryan Johnson, Ryan Johnson movie, um, Bloom brothers. And, uh, he's, he's, He's awesome. He's done a lot of amazing movies and I just love his, his writing. Um, and it's, there's no such thing as an unwritten life, just a badly written one. And, uh, it's great because it's essentially bringing home the fact that like at every chapter you, you're, you're, you're constantly writing your story. You're constantly making decisions you know, let's put free will aside for a second and just say like, you know, you're, you're, you're still at the end of the day deciding A or B, you know? Um, and when you're beginning a chapter, you're ending a chapter, you have these moments to reflect, to say like, what, what, uh, what should my, you know, what do I want my life to look like? What's the, the step that I want to take some level of ownership over? And like, I remember there's this like really ridiculous um, uh, acceptance speech by Matthew McConaughey like years ago. He's talking about like the 10 years later self. Mm. Like, I don't know if you remember that, but some of the, the guy, chase and yeah, exactly. It was, he, he did it in his very like, char like characteristically like parable like way. But um, it's like, I'm just like, I'm so focused on who am I in 10 years, you know, not who other people want me to be like, what, do, what does a better Matthew McConaughey look like in 10 years? And so even when you're just like writing a chapter of a new thing, you say, okay, well, let's say I take this job in England. Let's say I start my own company. What, what happens from that? Like what, what, what am I, what am I writing into my story that is both exciting, compelling, a learning process, uh, you know, the, the downsides. And when you start to just put together the different variations of the, those outcomes of like this story, you start, you start to, you start to feel like, okay, there's, there's some parameterization here. Like you can't control outcomes. Like you can't control 
future looks like. But you can at least start to understand, like, even if worst case scenario of me starting a company, like, what does that look like? I've gone through that, you know, and hopefully it's not worse than the worst case scenario that I drew up. But but at the end of the day, like, it was a helpful enough exercise to say I felt comfortable with that huge band of outcomes because this is something that I took the front foot on and it's going to be part of, of, of something that is going to mean a lot to me as I look at myself in the future to say that like, this is something I've gone through successfully or not. So, um, yeah, remembering it's not an unwritten life that you have. What books have you read that have, uh, helped you find your best work that stick in your mind the most? It's funny. So, um, like, you know, Trove, the, the, my company, like it's a big part of the way it started was because I, I had a book blog, um, back in the day. And, uh, I found my friend and I, like the concept of sharing recommendations and things that really matter to you is, is really hard and social today. And blogging was like expensive and cumbersome and all that stuff. And so like, I, I've, one of my like obviously starting points with my new my new company and my, my profiles I have all the books that I love and the things I'm reading and all that and I, I have it here in front of me um I'm a very like non-traditionalist um when it comes to like what I would say what books inspire me like they're none of them are, are actually like business books or tech books or or anything like that um they're more like history books so, um, to me, history is a great way to understand the human condition, like the base on like base ideas of interdependency and, um, jealousy and ego and how we make decisions. And, and so we've seen a lot of these things play out. Like, yes, we evolve in the information we have, but we don't like, we still, we still, we still have the desire to, to compete. We still have the desire of, uh, to, to want more. We still have jealousy. We still have our ego. We have all of these elements and they've been around for a very, very long time. And so, um, to me, like how I like to look at it is what books have just like put like a thunderbolt through me. Um, and, and it's not just like a specific thing that I learned from it, but I'm like, this is, this has changed the way I see the world. And so like one of those is a peace to end all peace by David Frumpkin. Um, and it's about world war one, the construction, the, 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 the construction of the, the middle East, um, as a result of world war one, how that's played into the dynamics that we're aware of today. I think that's absolutely fascinating. Um, another one is American nations by Colin Woodard. And it's essentially like the, I think it's 11, maybe it's seven. I think it's 11 nations of that comprise the United States. So the different migration patterns to America, um, in the, you know, the 16 and 1700s and looking at like how cultures, um, manifested in these different regions. And it's much more nuanced than East, West, North, South. And it helps us understand like why we are where we are and what are the things that we can learn from it and these these books have like influenced you because they gave you that bolt rather than like specifically about work yeah yeah exactly um they're super um much more uh, yeah they're not they're not the most helpful when it comes to like 
you know, the work self. The one book I would say that I've had like everyone on my team ever read is called um, The Most Beautiful House in the World um, by this guy, Vitold Rabinsky. Um, and it's pretty hard to get a hands of. It's not like a really widely published book, but it's essentially a guy who decided to build his own house <laughs> and hence the most beautiful house in the world because it was his house, you know? Um, and he steeps himself in the history of architecture in the process of building and the dynamics of ecological, environmental, practical components of, of building a home and, and the idea of having a plan and how that plan changes throughout. Like, it's just, it's this most like philosophical, um, personal journey that this guy takes, but roots it in so many beautiful reference points. And to me, it's an incredible, it's like the ultimate product management book. That's not a product management book because your job is to build like an architect is building, but not build yourself. You know, you're, you're working with all these different components. Um, and, and it's about the changes that occur. It's about anchoring yourself, but also not anchoring yourself. And, and to me, um, it's an incredible, it's an incredible book. I always get the raised eyebrow when I give a copy to a teammate, but they, they have always liked it. So I'd say like, that's the one more relevant book I can say is worth, worth picking up. Max, I've loved our, I've loved our conversation, man. This is fun. Yeah, this is yeah. great. You probed me in a lot of cool ways. I like, it's made me think a lot deeper too. Oh, it's been great. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed yeah. it. The Best Work Podcast is produced by the team at Cord. I'd love your advice on how we can make sure the Best Work Podcast is having a profound impact on the way we all pursue our best work. Email me at bennettcord.co. You can also find a transcript of this conversation, insightful video content and more at cord.co slash insights. Thanks for listening.